Welcome to Libromania, a new podcast for the book obsessed from the Close Reads Podcast Network. I'm David Kern. If you love books and all the things that make books great, this podcast is for you. Each week, I'm presenting conversations with authors, designers, publishers, artists, biographers, critics, and scholars about the various things that make books worth celebrating. We're talking book design and bookstores, book printing and book collecting. We're talking about the lives and problems of famous authors and the science behind our love of books. We'll be chatting with working writers about their process and with scholars about the art of writing biography. This is Chapter 5, in which I explore the wild world of olfactory pleasures and heritage odors. Perhaps we have to save some of the stories that make us care and love that smell and attribute meaning to it. We're all book lovers here, which means we've all done it. You're in the used bookstore or your friend's home library and you see an old book and you think it looks interesting. Maybe its pages are a little worn, the cover slightly tattered. Maybe the title's been rubbed off so only a few letters are still clear. Given the kind of books that tend to last, it's probably a hardcover with a sort of rough finish. You open the cover, finger through the first few pages. Maybe there's an inscription to Frank from Sylvia, All My Love, Christmas 1924. To Enoch on his seventh birthday from Mom and Pop. To Harold from Peter, Stay Safe and Don't Screw Up, Commencement 1911. Maybe there's the remnant of those stickers people put in their books as personal library plates or some stray pencil markings indicating when the book was read. Maybe the price in the upper right-hand corner of the first page. The title page is decorated with a gorgeous ancient serif font. Maybe an illustration or a black-and-white photograph of the author. Dostoevsky in his beard. A statue of Julius Caesar. Shakespeare in that smirk. As you flip, the life of the book begins to emerge in your hands. The textures of the paper. The stiffness of the binding, the quality of the glue, and the smell, always the smell. So you lift it to your nose, and maybe you try not to be noticed. Then you take a deep breath. You let the aromas of the book take over. For many book lovers, the smell of old books like this one is just as beloved as the smell of, say, bacon in the morning, or cookies freshly baked, or flowers in the spring. It's an essential smell, part of why we love libraries and used bookstores. Part of the process. It offers one more key sensory experience to enhance our appreciation for what's happening on the page. In fact, in my, you know, purely anecdotal and unscientific research, I've yet to find someone who loves books but dislikes that smell. The more musty the book is, the better we like the smell, it seems. But why is this? It seems odd. I've long wondered if it's just an eccentricity of bookish people, if there are other examples of this sort of thing. So here in Libromania, I wanted to get to the bottom of it, to understand why this smell is so important and so beloved to people who really, really enjoy books. And it turns out there are real explainable reasons behind it, as this week's guest explains. Cecilia Benbibre is a researcher at University College London, and she studied this very subject at length. In an article that she co-wrote with Mathia Sterlich called Smell of Heritage, a framework for the identification, analysis, and archival of historic odors, She explains that smells are a key part of our cultural heritage. The significance of olfaction in the context of cultural heritage, she writes, evidencing that smells can be fundamental in shaping who we are, where we belong, and how we experience encounters with different cultures, has been recently examined in several case studies. These studies show that odor can be part of the local identity through history, that a central place for olfactory experiences in a culture results in a much wider vocabulary to discuss smells, and that travel and tourism offer an opportunity to approach the world with our noses. However, the role of smells in our perception of and engagement with the past has not been systematically explored. So she set out to do just that. In fact, one of her goals is to discover strategies for preserving what she calls heritage smells, 
because those smells help us preserve an understanding of the places those smells incarnate. Smells carry the information about how practices have evolved through history, she writes. Smells have both historic and communal value and thus ought to be studied carefully and preserved as much as possible. And as we discuss in today's episode, the technology to do this exists to varying degrees, and museums are even attempting to do so. There's even a bilingual dictionary for urban smells. But the most important part of the process is identifying a common language by which people can describe and discuss the sensory experiences various smells offer. Alas, she writes, the olfactory world is hardly discussed or documented. And this led her to begin a case study about, quote, the well-known and appreciated historic library smell. And that brings you and me to today's interview. Dr. Bambibre helped me sort through some of her findings. We discussed the myriad ways people describe the old book smell, the way science backs up those descriptors, what causes books to smell the way they do, how scientists can track them, what role emotions in early life experiences play, and what all of this means for the preservation of culture. So, grab the oldest book from your shelf, take a big old whiff of the innermost page, and dive in. So I guess I'll just start with this. Did your interest in this subject stem from a love of books that you have, or, or was it, did you come to the smell of books because of the study? Um, I, I am a lover of books. I, I absolutely love books and I love the smell of books, some more than others, but <laughs> I, I have to say I came to, to this kind of research from the point of view of smell. I have always been interested in the way we communicate via smell. Mm and the way that smells communicate with us. Mm. Um, the reason we chose the smell of books for one of our first case studies was because we found that there, there was a lot of research done from the chemistry point of view on the smell of historic paper. And mm. that was very useful to anchor our study on the human experience of the smell of books and libraries. Mm. So uh, perhaps it's more practical, but then <laughs> also we, we, we wanted a smell that we could demonstrate how significant it was, a smell that had mm. meaning mm. to us as people. Mm. Uh, and we could find no better than the smell of books for mm. that. Mm. You mentioned the idea that we, that we communicate through smell a second ago. And one of the things that I was really intrigued by as I was reading the study and thinking about this question is how it, in some ways it makes sense. Well, I don't want to say it makes sense, but I can, I can sort of understand communication. Like we can preserve a sound pretty easily. And I, and I can understand how that can sort of be preserved for a long time. We can record a piece of music at least in, in with contemporary technology, we can. And in a hundred years, assuming we have something that can play that technology, we'll be able to hear pretty much the same thing. Um, but when we when it comes to smells, and you talk you talk about the idea of preserving smells and communicating through smells, um, mm -hmm. I was I'd never thought about that idea before. The idea that something that smells a certain way now could communicate something to people in a hundred years or, or longer. So how does that process of preserving a smell is there a is there a sort of version of audio recording for the preservation <laughs> of smells that that will be able to communicate something to people in 100 years or that we even existed hundreds of years ago that is communicating something to us now like what's the mechanism by which that happens i wish there was that, <laughs> that kind of technology um, 
a quick answer is there isn't. There are okay. other ways that we can preserve smell. Mm. Um, what we do is we look at, at, at the smell from its composition. So a smell is basically um, the result of a number of chemicals that are volatile uh, at ambient temperature. So these are mm. called mostly volatile organic chemicals or VOC for, sorry, volatile organic compounds or VOC for short. Mm -hmm. And we study those to understand how the smell is made. And we analyze and record those to get, if you wish, a, a formula for that smell to get, to get a better understanding of how we can document a smell. But of course, mm. when we talk about VOCs, we're talking about analytical chemistry, but a smell is not such until there's a nose to smell it because smell is mm. a perception. So mm. it needs us to experience it, to, to perceive it, to talk about it, to um, have memories that can be evoked by that smell, to attribute meaning to it, to um, relate it to, to other cues with photographs, a space, a sound, a texture. Um, so in that sense, we study the chemistry of smell and we record the human experience, the way we experience the smell today in this, this current world. Mm -hmm. I do it in London, for example, what do we think and how do we talk about this smell? Mm. And this gives us a sort of archive for a smell. So beyond preserving a physical sample, let it, just a vial with a sample of the smell that I can capture, we, we also note um, uh, a lot of details about how we perceive it and what we think and whether we experience it as pleasant or unpleasant, if we think the smell is intense or not, because... Mm. Uh, the way we we perceive smells is very culturally dependent, mm. geographically dependent. Mm. It depends on the time of history that, that we live. It depends on our common shared experience and background and also on our individual background. It depends on our genetic makeup. So there are so many factors that just preserving a physical sample of the smell I don't think it would do much for the interpretation in a hundred years. Mm. So do you find that when it say when it comes to old books, for example, you mentioned in the study that some people will describe old, that old book smell is like a combination. I think, I think you say, I wrote this down, a combination of grassy notes with a tang of acids and a hint of vanilla over an underlying mustiness. Um, is that, is, yeah. is, that an, yeah. is that an example <laughs> of something that, that you hear a lot? I mean, do you hear, do you, do you tend to find a lot of commonalities in the way people experience a smell? Like, you know, I mean, I know there's going to be some variations based on the things that you were just describing, but for something mm -hmm. like old books, do you tend to find that there are uh, trends in terms of how people um, describe certain smells of old books? Yes, absolutely. There are trends, but they very much depend on how we ask people to talk about the smell. Mm. So for example, we did two big experiments. One of them was in St. Paul's Cathedral's library, asking people to describe the smell. This is a small library that is kept closed, open by appointment only. Uh, and 
Therefore, the smell is quite intense. And you can see the books. You can see the dark wood shelves. You know, you can see some leathers in the seats. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's a historic library. Yeah. When you describe the smell, most people um, said it smelled musty. It smells uh, a little bit sweet. Um, hmm. Words that it smells woody. You know, because they had the visual cues that prompted them to mm. understand they were talking about the smells, the smell of books, and then the words came with the context. We did a similar thing, but we presented an unlabeled um, vial to people in a museum. It was a smell of books, but we didn't tell them so, and we asked mm. them to talk about the smell. Mm. And the majority of uh, that group said they thought it was chocolate hmm. and a big portion of them thought it was vanilla and coffee. So hmm. this, is, this was a very interesting study because chemically the smell of historic paper and the, so the VOCs of historic paper and those of chocolate and coffee have similarities. So, you know, the noses knew what they were smelling, hmm. but people described it with their associations of everyday life, which was, you know, coffee and chocolate and vanilla, because mm. they didn't know they were smelling books. So do you think that someone who had spent a lot of time, you know, maybe more time among, you know, old books or, or you know, paper at least, um, but maybe spent less time in coffee shops or eating chocolate, would have said that that was old paper? Probably, so the, so to the chemical characteristics of old paper are similar to the, some of the chemical characteristics of chocolate. Some of the compounds are, yeah, are similar. Yeah. So there's just enough in there to where our brains are saying this, I'm familiar with this. It reminds us. Of, uh, yeah, absolutely. So there's vanillin, which smells of vanilla, for example, and, uh, porphyral that smells of, um, bready, you know, bready, amdi. Um, it has this quality. So some people said biscuits as well. So there, there are compounds that are um, present or similar compounds present in our everyday life. And they, the references we, we look for are the ones that are most familiar. Hmm. So does this make the sort of, does, does this make the documentation and the the um, possibility of sort of, what's the word? Um, I, I guess, just, does the process, does it make the method and process of describing these these smells easier or harder? Does the fact that there are so many associations for people make the process of preserving what, what you call in the study heritage smells, does that make it easier or does that actually make it way more complicated? Um, that's a very good question. Uh, it, it makes it makes it challenging in the way that because we have very personal associations with smells usually the words we tend to use to describe them are very much linked with our, our own biography and mm. our own experience and in that sense as a scientist I find that um, the the words that people tend to use are not comparable. Okay. Um, I am interested in, in words that I can use to describe a smell that anyone could use and anyone could understand. If you tell me, yes, this book smells exactly 
like a room that my grandfather had in his old house. It has a lot of meaning to you, but what can I do with that information apart from, you know, document it? It's mm. not comparable because mm. everyone's grandparents' houses uh, smell differently. Hmm. So in that sense, it's, it's more difficult. Um, but with a little bit of training and some techniques that we try to use when we have people talking about smells, I think we, we can arrive at some objective, uh, as objective as possible when we understand that we're working with human subjects, of course. Hmm. Um, some, some objective data to describe smells. When you're when you're discussing these things with people and they're giving those sort of descriptive terms, do you have to determine whether or not they view those things as as um, positive or negative? Because you know, for some people, maybe the smell of chocolate or the smell of coffee is not a good smell. Those people would be weird. But um, mm. is, is but do you have to determine to the yes, degree to which they exactly. find them a positive thing? Yeah. So right now, I'm doing experiments where I ask people to think about what they consider as a scent. And what they consider a stench, so a, a positive and a negative mm. smell. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I ask them to, to rate some other smells that I give them in relation to these concepts that they already have to understand a little bit how they feel about the smell. This is called the hedonic tone of, a, of a, an odor. And it's one of the parameters that we measure because this um, way of perceiving a smell changes um, with, with the different factors that I was describing. So, um, for example, before the fridge was invented, our idea of what smelled putrid might mm. have been very different to what we would consider putrid today. Mm. Our tolerance has changed with uh, hygiene, hygiene habits, etc. So mm. it's quite important to record how we feel in terms of pleasantness about the smell. Is this particularly true of smell, uh, even more so than things like um, taste or the way things sound, the pleasantness of it? Um, I think it's valid for everything. I mean, with sound, there's um, a historian's example of what we consider loud sound before I think the jet engine was invented. Mm. And of right. course it was very different. So, I think it's it's very important to record our experiences, sensory experiences in a time and a place. Mm. So if we're intending to create an archive. Mm. You know, this is so interesting for me personally, because when I was in college, I, w I worked in coffee shops a lot, like pretty much the whole time I was in college. And I remember when I first started, I would go in very early in the morning, 5, 5.30 in the morning, and I would and kind of enjoy that smell of, you know, I think, oh, this smells wonderful. And then as I worked there for years and dealt with, you know, I began to associate the smell of coffee with being up way too early, being tired, dealing with annoying customers. So for almost a decade, the smell of coffee was not something that I actually enjoyed. Um, and this, you know, the smell of coffee roasting and, and things like that. And it's only more recently that I've begun to appreciate it again. So it's funny how those things sort of evolve based on, the settings that we're experiencing them in. I've never, I'd never thought about that before um, because I've always wondered if as a kid, I remember wondering, well, when someone tastes or smells something, is it the same thing that I'm smelling, but my brain is offering a different response to it? Or we actually do our, 
do we smell things differently? And I, is that even something that people can, that you can uh, assess? I think it's, we know that we all have an individual experience. We share some forms of perception. So we know, for example, from studies that have been done that when, um, people are asked about the smells of their childhood. It depends on when they were born. They would gravitate towards more natural smells like grass or even manure or towards more artificial smells like Play-Doh and hairspray. <laughs> so we, we sh- share some of our perceptions and a lot of them are individual. For example, I asked um, a German sh- journalist, I gave her a sample of the smell of books that most people in the UK had said chocolate and vanilla. And she said, this smells exactly like sauna and apple strudel. (laughs) And I had never thought about the smell of books in that sense, you know? So yeah, it's, it's very, very personal. Hmm. So one of the big things that you're talking about in, in the study is the idea of heritage and preserving Mm -hmm. heritage in the way that smells can help us preserve our cultural heritage. Um, and this has to make, how do you, I guess I keep getting stuck on this, given that there's all these different responses, how does that allow you to preserve something about our heritage? I mean, does it allow us, does the very fact that that there are so many different responses to it actually make it easier to preserve heritage? Does it, it seems like it'd be a very, it makes it certainly very complicated in that sense, in terms of the preservation of, of heritage and the preservation of culture. Because how are you identifying what exactly you're preserving if everybody has such a different experience with it? Yeah. Um, well, but all those people attribute value to it. Mm-hmm. In the case of the smell of books, we know that when um, a historic library moves or they refurbish the building and the books are taken out and the smell goes and then you have maybe a new building or a different building and the books come back but the library doesn't smell uh people miss the smell Mm. so there's something they're missing because they're the the idea is that there are some smells that are part of the identity of places and Mm. therefore they have cultural value because they enrich our experience of certain places and objects. And that's why we think they are part of our shared cultural heritage and we want to preserve them. Mm. Then the variety of ways we talk about them are another example of how they are rich. Mm. But we agree that they have value. Mm. You, you, um, in the study, you discuss something called an odor wheel. Mm-hmm. And I was um, very fascinated by this. So you, you call it to mind, obviously, a color wheel. And in fact, you put colors on it, although I think the colors were arbitrary, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> so can you describe a little bit about how you, um, for our listeners, a little bit about how you devise the color wheel and what its purpose is and, and what you hope that it will be able to help us, uh, what you hope it will be able to help communicate and preserve? That's kind of so, a general um, question, but... Yeah, no, I'm happy to talk about it. I did not invent the other wheel. Let's start there. <laughs> it's a tool that is widely used in mostly in industry to talk about uh, the different kinds of smells. So, for example, when you go choose a perfume, you have the perfume families. So, um, 
perfumes that smell green or uh, more oriental or floral. And according to your preferences, then you someone can recommend the perfume to you. Mm. When you do a coffee tasting or wine tasting, also we... Uh, the industry has developed other wheels to help you describe the different notes in these beverages and appreciate their aroma. So you have the roasted notes and maybe the fruity notes, etc., etc., bitter notes. So my idea when when I was doing the study, um, we ended up with two sets of very different information. One was chemical information, so a list of chemical compounds that we found, the VOCs, and then a list of the scriptures, a list of words that people used to talk about the smell. And we needed to marry those two bits of information to form some sort of preservation piece for the smell. So we decided to use the other wheel as a tool that already existed, but it didn't exist for historic odors or for mm. historic smells, heritage smells. Mm. Um, in the other wheel, you find on one aspect of the wheel, you find the compounds, and then on matching each compound is the smell that someone described. So we know where the smell comes from. Uh, I have to say that now I'm, I've never been completely convinced about the wheel, and there's a lot of discussion in academic circles about the use of other wheels, because partly because they are a circle, they give this idea of completeness, hmm. and it 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 looks as there the all of the information that you need to preserve a smell is there, which is not true. So at the moment, it's a useful tool. It's something that is a work in progress, but there's a lot more to the experience of a smell that is not captured by the other wheel, mm. in my case. It seems like one of the hardest things has to be how do you identify how to talk about these things? And I think you say something to that effect in, in the study. So the wheel, so is the wheel sort of a, a, um, a beginning, a beginning mm -hmm. way to, to, to have a dialogue about this because you're talking about something sort of intangible when you talk about smells? Yes. Yes. And it's interesting. Now I'm doing um, a little bit of research on smell archives because I'm really interested to, to understand how we've been talking about smells over the years and also how both in fiction and in reality, people have collected smells and kept them for the future. Hmm. And the diversity of it, especially in fiction, is fascinating um, and the few museums that are devoted to smell have their own ways of archiving them, being, for example, the Osmotech um, in Versailles near Paris. It's the only, um, it's the only museum that is fully devoted to preserving perfume. So they have over 4,000 perfumes in their collections. And some of them are historical reconstructions. So they have a perfume that has over 3000 years old. And the way they go through the, the process of reconstructing a historic perfume is really interesting. And the way that they archive existing perfumes for the future. So I'm looking at all of that now. There are many, many ways to archive smell. And several of them, of them uh, have to do with the archivers' personality as well. They're very personal. 
Hmm. Can you give me an example of that? Um, well, there are artists who have amassed a huge collection of smells from all over the world over the years and developed their own language to label them. Hmm. So um, they have their own systems and they keep physical samples, but they also keep signs. Uh, some of them keep illustrations uh, next to the smells. So yeah, it's fascinating. Let's take a quick break here to give you a word from our friends over at New College Franklin. This podcast is brought to you by New College Franklin, which is a four-year classical Christian liberal arts college nestled in beautiful downtown Franklin, Tennessee. Focused on the great ideas, the quadrivium and the trivium, New College Franklin is dedicated to spiritually forming students by discipling them through the seven liberal arts for wisdom, virtue, and service. New College Franklin, a new college reclaiming and recasting the old Augustinian idea of education to take delight in contemplating created truth. Find out more at www.newcollegefranklin.org. And now, back to the show. How long does it generally take for an old book smell to develop? Like when we, it is that, I mean, is there a, is there a real difference in what someone says, say, if the book is a hundred years old and then if the book is say, I don't know, 250 years old, is there, is there a significant difference in the way people describe the books? Um, well, there is a difference in the smell because the material, the base material is completely different. So an older book would have taken longer to develop a smell because the rate of degradation of that materials is in, in general slower than mm. a newer book. Mm. Um, um, I am not complete expert in the materials uh, used in the types of paper used in books. Um, my co-author is, so he would give you a more detailed answer, mm-hmm. but I know that uh, modern books are a lot more acidic than mm-hmm. older books, and therefore they age quicker. Mm. I know that in publishing, acid-free paper is highly desirable, but also much more expensive. Yes, so, absolutely. Uh, the, other, the other factor that impacts the smell of the book, apart from the materials that make it and the, the state of those materials, is the, um, where you keep it. So if you keep a book in the kitchen, it will smell of food. And, you know, um, if you keep it in a damp cellar, it will probably smell of damp. So these are other factors that contribute to the smell of books. Uh, there's a very nice story about a copy of Ulysses that used mm. to belong to, I think it was the first edition. Uh, there's an article about it. It used to belong to Lawrence of Arabia. And mm. the book smells smoky. But Lawrence of Arabia didn't uh, smoke in in pipe. Uh, So a couple of researchers traced the history of the book and they found that the book had been lent to soldiers stationed in Pakistan who probably smoked as they read. Hmm. And that's, you know, a possible answer to the mystery of this book. And it tells you a lot about its history as well. Do we generally think that that keeping books on bookshelves in libraries is a good way to preserve them? I mean, maybe not if they're loaning them out to people all the time in terms of, you know, a loan, a lending library. But, you know, say a really nice library in a home with, 
you know, where someone has the, the old leather back chairs and, you know, the sort of traditional thing we think of. Is that actually a good way to preserve, uh, to preserve a book and to preserve the, well, I guess if you're, I guess if it's there, it's creating a smell more than needing to preserve it. But do we know anything about that? <laughs> well, um, yeah, we do know, I mean, for collections, books, that are in, you know, museum collections, for example, there are very uh, strict guidelines on the relative humidity and the light, because these are all factors that affect paper and the, the material change of paper. For a domestic library, how long do you want to keep your books for? <laughs> well, say, well, say say somebody has a, a nice library of books they've collected, and they want to be able to pass it on to their children or something like that. Yeah. Um, I think. Well, and it's not my expertise again. Sure, but sure, sure. I think Unless you you the temperature in your room fluctuates enormously, or it's especially damp, or or you know the books are constantly exposed to light, you shouldn't worry. Okay, so here's a question then about the about this, the way the smells evolve um, in a book. If someone is handling a book a lot, um, you know, reading it, turning the pages, flipping through it, touching the cover, um, and maybe even it's multiple people doing that, does that alter the smell of the book significantly? As opposed to if the, the as opposed to the smells that are in the room or the smells that are surrounding it. Um, that's a very interesting question. I was just thinking guess, in terms of like we probably each have our own odor, right? And and our and depending on the, maybe the kind of job we're doing, our hands are going to carry certain odors with us. So I'm wondering if those get transferred to books as well. Yeah, of course, paper will absorb the the smell of a hand cream or something like that. Mm -hmm. But um, to what extent? I don't know. It depends on how often you do it. You know, I don't sure. want to. <laughs> I don't want to improvise an answer on that. I yeah. just, if you, if you don't read the book very often, the volatiles will get a chance to, to accumulate. When I do testing, we put books in special bags or in a special vessel and seal it and let the, um, the chemicals concentrate to create something that is called headspace. And that that is the air around the object where the VOCs have concentrated. And when you do an analysis of when you want to take a sample of the smell of a book, you normally take a sample of the air around the book once you've let it there for a month or something like that to concentrate. Hmm. So the less, you, the less you open it, the more it will smell in a way. I have a feeling that a lot of people who are listening who are not chemists are going to say, how do you take a sample of air? <laughs> yeah. So we use, uh, we use two techniques. One is called um, solid phase micro extraction, and it involves using a very fine fiber. It's a sensor that is coated with a polymer and mm. the chemicals adhere to this fiber, to the sensor. Uh, and I take that to the lab normally, and I use a technique called gas chromatography, mass spectrometry. It's basically mm. an instrument that gives you an analysis of the chemical compounds present in the air, and you end up with a list of uh, chemicals. Mm. Okay. So that's one way. The other way, when the smell is not very concentrated, we use pumps, air pumps. Mm. 
pump a lot of volume of air. Uh, and again, we do analysis with ga gas chromatography. So it gives you the compounds that are in the air, you're saying, and yeah. the chemicals that are in there, and then that allows you to sort of... To understand the chemical composition of the, of, the, of the smell. The other thing we do is there's a little bit... Um, there's, a, there's an adapted uh, instrument that, in addition to doing this chemical analysis, has a, a little tube that you can put your nose into. So hmm. as the compounds um, are being analyzed by the instrument, you can smell them. So in a way, it deconstructs the smell of a book and hmm. you can smell the different compounds one by one. Hmm. And then um, the task there is to smell one by one and to describe them, which is very challenging. Hmm. This is called um, GCO, gas chromatography olfactometry. And it's a very, very interesting activity. From that, we get a set of descriptors, a, a set of words that talk about the smell. And in addition, we do panel testing. So we, we present the smell to different people and we ask them to, to talk about it and to rate it. Does, does as deconstructing the smell, as you put it, does that give you a, um, a, a greater appreciation for the, the complexity of the smells when they're all not deconstructed Does, would the layperson, so to speak even be able to tell the difference between the deconstructed smell and the constructed smell well yes because deconstructed smell smells nothing like book so you okay, can fair. smell okay. uh, vanilla and then you can smell mold and then you can smell maybe rubbish and then mm. you smell cookies and chocolate and mushrooms so, so some all the notes that are present in a smell, but in different concentrations, you smell individually. So some things would smell. So when you take things that would generally be considered a, a putrid smell and then things that would be considered a pleasant smell and put them together, that more complex smell can be either pleasant or putrid, depending on who's smelling it. Yes. Yes. Hmm. So even a very, um, a smell that most people think is disgusting when you deconstruct it might have some lovely smells in it. Hmm. So then that might play into why, well, does that play into why an animal, for example, can smell something in the trash and think that it's appealing or is that just completely different? It seems like a completely far afield. Um, okay. So I do have a couple of questions here specifically about, about old books again. So do people who, do you tell it, can you tell a big difference between people who generally care about books in the rest of their lives and then an appeal and they find that the, the, the smell of old books is appealing to them? Or is there no difference that people who don't care about books at all still like the smell of old books? That's a very good question. And I am very sorry that I didn't ask people in advance if they like books <laughs> when I did my experiments. And now sure, I sure. might start doing that. Um, what I notice is that people that like books tend to have a richer vocabulary to talk mm. about the okay. smell of Okay. Do you think that, what's your instinct on, I mean, not that, not your, you know, professional opinion per se, since you haven't studied it, but if someone didn't like books, if they had some sort of aversion to books for whatever reason, do you think that they would consider mostly that they would consider that smell of old books to be a negative based on maybe they don't like the smell of libraries or something? Or do you think that the smells of coffee or chocolate, if they like those things would stand out to them more than the negative smells? Oh, in other uh, words... 
it's purely speculation, but if they didn't, if they had ne negative memories associated with the smell of book, they wouldn't like the smell. Um, the, our experience, the, as long as they know it's a smell of book, the question there is, can okay. we do an experiment where we label that smell as something they like and, and as books? And is there a difference in the way they perceive it? Because mm. verbal cues and the cues that the, the stimuli that we receive with other senses is so powerful and really affects the way we interpret smells. Mm. So the label on a smell really affects the way we... we if I give you um, a smell of uh, blue cheese or a very strong cheese, and I tell you it's cheese and you like that kind of cheese, you probably rate it pleasantly. But mm. if I tell you it's rotting rubbish, you know, you <laughs> might not. And it's mm. the same smell. So when you're administering these studies, do you have to, do you, do you do, do you actually label them or do you do, do you put blindfolds on? Do you, how do you, do you try to make it as narrow as possible or do you want them to be able to use all of their senses to get um, for the case? It depends study? on what they're, what am I, what I am testing. Sorry. Um, for example, when we did books, as I explained, we did one where you could see the library mm -hmm. and right, one right. when you didn't know what you were smelling mm -hmm. and the results are completely different. Hmm. This is fascinating. <laughs> Some people uh, thought they were smelling old socks and dirty clothes, for example, with the smell of books when they didn't know what it was. Do you, do you think that once they knew that that was the smell of... when Once they knew that they were actually smelling old books, would their opinion of the smell of old books change because they thought at one time that it was socks? <laughs> or, does it, or do they no longer <laughs> smell socks anymore? I don't know. I never told them. <laughs> it seems like there's just an unlimited number of, of uh, angles you could take on this or questions you could pursue. Are you... I think you should come and help me do some research. <laughs> um, that'd be fun. So are you continuing this, the old book study smell or are you on to new, to new works in the, to new studies in the, in the, in the realm of studying smells? Um, I am continuing an aspect of the um, old book study. It's because I, I, I really want to go deeper into the idea of archiving this smell. And I want to understand how important it is that we archive an authentic smell or an interpretation, for example, an artist's reconstruction of an old book. You know, when you go and buy a candle that says library, is mm -hmm. it important that it actually smells like a library for you mm -hmm. to have the experience or a pleasant smell will do? And so mm -hmm. I'm looking at that at the moment, which is a very fascinating topic. And at the same time, I'm uh, researching other types of smell that might have cultural value for us. So are, are smells that people otherwise find delightful, like various candles or old books or coffee or chocolate or whatever it is, are those things kind of ruined for you or, or are they, or do you enjoy them just as much as anybody else or more? <laughs> um, there are days where I don't want to smell anything, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but most of the time I, I do enjoy them. I, I just think that'd be, it's got to have been, it has to be something like someone who works in a coffee shop for years. You begin to have associations with the process of smelling things or the experience that just kind of makes you, you've had enough of it. <laughs> uh, the, the thing is, we, the memories that are most emotional for us are the ones we acquire when we're kids. Mm. And, you know, the, the smell of old books for me it's very significant. And I have many memories from when, when I was a kid alone with my 
library. Mm. Um, so I don't think that will ever be ruined for me. Mm. Do you, so then, okay, here's my, here's my final question. I'm sure you have to get going. Um, as you put it, this, the childhood memories are so influential and they determine so much about how you experience something for the rest of your life. When you're talking about the concept of preserving heritage through smells or preserving heritage smells is, is it, is it important to identify how young people are experiencing things or is part of that preservation offering these heritage smells to young people so that they can be passed on or, or so they can be, I mean, I, I don't know how you pass on a smell other than passing on the thing that you're smelling, but does, does what I'm kind of tr- trying to get at, I didn't think about this ahead of time, but does that make sense? What I'm trying to ask, do I need to rephrase it? Um, I think I understand what you're trying to ask. I, when we're thinking of preserving a smell, what we're preserving, preserving is a slice of our experience of that smell. And mm. in that sense, we cannot do more than preserving maybe a physical sample, um, the formula and a record of how we perceive that smell today, you and I maybe, mm-hmm. and a bunch of other people. And then I think it's quite important to think how we can enhance that archive with metadata. So for young people who perhaps don't have a lot of experience of the smell of an old book, because in many houses, there aren't any old books in paper form anymore, and they don't study with them. Perhaps we we have to save some of the stories that make us care and love that smell and attribute meaning to it. Mm. So they won't have the experience, so they won't have the personal attachment. And how do we archive that is the big question associated Mm. with the smell. Mm. In a way, we need to think what will be the smell of these kids' childhood and how we preserve it. Is it warm plastic from a computer? Or, you know, what is it? Hmm. Do you think that there is, are there, there are inherently, is there an inherent difference in value between say the smell of warm plastic from a computer and an old book in terms of uh, either individual or cultural development? Well, it depends on how old you are, but you know, if you have all your childhood memories associated to the computer you had in your room, I'm sure you're pretty fond of that smell, or at least it has a lot of meaning to you. If you started using a computer when you were a grown-up and you only use it for work, it might not mean much. Um, so I think we need to be open to the ways we attribute meaning to smells being different mm. with different experiences. Mm. I'm surprised Apple and Microsoft and so forth haven't found ways to make iPhones smell a certain way. <laughs> I'm sure, they, I'm sure <laughs> they've thought about it. You know, there, there are so many prototypes for... Uh, adding not only smells um, communicated via phones, but also prototypes for augmented reality and smells, but they still don't work very well. Mm, yeah, I can imagine. One. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for spending so much time. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much to Cecilia Benbury for joining me. I had a lot of fun discussing this subject with her. Hope you enjoyed listening. 
If you would like to contribute to Cecilia's research, you can send her an email at libromania at smellofheritage.org. Let her know what you smell when you smell old books and libraries and bookstores. Do you smell chocolate, coffee, rubbish? Shoot her an email with your experiences and be a part of her attempts at preserving culture. Again, that's libromania at smellofheritage.org. That's the name of this podcast, libromania at smellofheritage.org. That's our show for this week. As always, thanks so much for listening. Remember, subscribe, rate, review, help us spread the word. For all of us here at the Close Reads Podcast Network, I'm David Kern. Talk to you next week. Happy reading. Happy reading.